Welcome to another edition of Top Lines and Tales, when we continue with our Continental series, looking at the early imports of pedigree livestock from Europe into UK. The Simmental breed of cattle are a dual-purpose breed, originating from the Sim Valley near Bern in Switzerland. Renowned as extremely docile, milky and with great longevity, they're said to date back to the Middle Ages. In their original format, they are white and gold in colour, primarily with a white head. I mention this as our American listeners might think they were always all black, as some of them are now in the US. The first imports arrived into Britain from Switzerland in 1970, some 34 males and 220 females in Lowestoft in East Anglia. Now the British Simmental Society has overtaken its European counterparts as the largest number of purebred animals of its breed in Europe, with a thriving home and export market. I'm delighted to be joined this week on the podcast by Norman Robson, current Breed Society Vice President from Kilbride Farm near Ballyclare, County Antrim in Northern Ireland. Norman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andre. Nice to be able to join you. Norman, the breed has a rich history and much more than we can get chance to cover on a short podcast like this. So let's go back to the year 1970. That year, 68 members joined forces to form a breed society. And it has to be noted that it was a couple of years after the first Charolais cattle imports had come into UK, and some of those new breeders would have a foot in both societies, such as Jim Jeffries at Kersner. Uh, and those two breeds almost complemented each other, didn't they, Norman? Yeah, well, I suppose they were classed as two fairly large framed breeds at that particular time, and as opposed to ourselves, we actually had dabbled a bit in Charolais through the mid-70s, and then again in the 90s. So uh, there was a definitely a similarity of type among the two breeds, probably distinctly different from some of the other European breeds that came in. There would be a committee formed by some of those early pioneers. Uh, I have a few names. Dick Howard of the Matchling Herd, who would be chairman, I think. Uh, Bob Vigas from the Revelex Herd. George Anderson from the Kerr Herd in Lawrence Kirk. John Marshall from Solway. And Dan Evans from the English Midlands. And also Bert Borlays, who started the Seacom Herd. And was that along with your father as well there, Norman? No, not initially, um, because the cattle were first imported into Northern Ireland a year later in 1971. But I think on that initial committee, you would also had the likes of Frank Young from Congeith, William Young from Skerrington Mains, and also Jim Bigger from Chapleton was one of the original importers as well. So you had a lot of very significant names there that were at the start of the importation. Um, a lot of good cattlemen that obviously saw a bit of future in the Simmental breed. Between them, they embarked on the first importation of cattle from Switzerland, but ran into a few problems, I believe. I read that there was an outbreak of TB, which vastly reduced the numbers originally, and uh, after much negotiation, the British Simmental Society and the Ministry of Agriculture and the Swiss government managed to get the buyers refunded for their purchases, but that only left a handful of those cattle, which... Uh, the numbers were just pulled out of a hat and shared around. Borlay's got a cow called Klebe from that import, and Judy tells me that it had 21 live calves and lived till the age of 24, which endorses the longevity of the breed. And The cow had cost 460 guineas, and her first son sold for 4,600 to New Zealand. So there was a bit of profit in there from the get-go, wasn't there? There was something for these guys to, to go at. Yeah, I think, there was, I think those people that were in at the start... Uh, realised that there would be a fairly good export opportunity um, uh, so that was probably attraction to some of them and when you mentioned that cow Klebe 
like that name still exists today, and some of the pedigrees and the and the and the cow family names so are still about today after all these years. Some of the initial cattle probably come in on contract. They come into Britain to be multiplied for export to New Zealand, Australia, maybe and particularly to the states. Well, there was an issue when they couldn't get, we couldn't get cattle from the UK to the states, and certainly a lot of those went through Canada. But there would be issues with getting some some of these cattle coming directly out of Europe into the US, which I suppose is why they came through our door. Yeah, and I think that's where Northern Ireland came in. I think it was even slightly easier to send them from Northern Ireland to the states rather than from mainland GB. Okay, and Dick Howard would become the first president of the society, followed by Sir William Young from Skerrington Mains, and uh, the first secretary was Brian Freeman, and the society office was set up in, in England. A second import came in a year later, and this time from Germany, and I'm guessing these would still be Swiss cattle, but coming in via a different route, would that be right? No, I think that that second import actually would still have been 1970, um, and they were from Germany, and those have been, as far as I know, those would have been the cattle that predominantly went into Scotland. Um, I'm told that the most of the English cattle in the early days were, were, were Swiss and the Scottish ones were German and the ones that eventually came to Northern Ireland were all German and the majority of the cattle that went into the Republic of Ireland were actually Austrian origin. So there's sort of three different types of Simmental that arrived in these islands in the, those early days. Of course, and I suppose them coming from the Alps there, they would the Alps would, would encompass all those three countries. That's interesting. Yeah. And amongst those imports, there would be a few bulls that would quickly stamp the breed in UK, including Scottish Neff, who was owned by the Scottish Milk Marketing Board. And born in 1969, he sired over 1,500 pedigree calves over the next four decades, and he could be referred to as the father of the breed, certainly in UK. Oh, most definitely. Um still to this day people would look at pedigree and see uh, if there was any neff in the background and some people would say if there was no neff in the background the bull wouldn't be any use um it was funny we sold a bull to red farms Turban. he was champion in perth in 2006 he was sold to the blackford herd of the big persons and one of the things that they looked up in his sort of immediate you know four or five generations of pedigree there was like four crosses of neff and that pedigree, and that is really what, um, you know, on top of the looking at the bull and his performance and stuff, the pedigree with those four crosses of Neff really uh, said to them that they had to have that bull. I know, I certainly remember him being you know, a, a, a dominant bull within the breed, and also there'd be a lot of crossbred calves born off him, I guess, if he was with the, the Scottish marketing board. I would imagine so. Um, there, there were a lot of commercial calves through the countryside, and also Neff had a big influence. Uh, in the US and in Canada. Um, they still talk about cattle with Neff. They had a Canadian Neff, which I don't know whether, I think he maybe was the son of Scottish Neff at some stage. But, uh, you know, he had a big influence all over the world. And uh, I think the first cars were registered in the UK in 1971. That would be the letter A. Mm -hmm. And the first bull to sell at auction was a bull called Overhaul Allendorf in 1972, who I'm told went to Ken Durston's at East Nevi. And among others that year, a son of Neff, Solway Adonis, bred by John Marshall, was also bought by the Scottish Milk Marketing Board, I think, and his semen, again, was widely distributed through the UK, although I believe the bull himself actually was exported to, to the USA. There definitely was semen went to the USA, and I think the bull possibly went eventually. He could have gone to the US. I know he also had a big, a big influence. You still see uh, pedigrees and people referring back to Adonis, it's still, still an influence today. Mm. 
there certainly were a few bulls live that were exported to the UK in, in the mid-70s, including one from Westrums, I heard, that's uh, more noted for its Aberdeen Anger successes. And uh, I heard a story recently that uh, the great Dave Smith, well-known stockman at, at Westrums, went to pick up their imported animal at the quarantine station in Dundee, and he'd never seen um, scimitars before, and he walked right past the scimitars thinking they were thinking they were crossbred. So, good old Davey. <laughs> And the breed had a massive event in Stafford in the, the New Bingley Hall in 1978, which did a, a lot to promote the breed, and the membership started to grow from there, didn't it? Yeah, uh, I always remember Fowler talking. He must have been on the council at that time, and uh, he said that was a really big turning point for the breed uh, in the British Isles. They, um, it was a great promotional thing, and they had, they had fairly good commercial cattle there, and, uh, and they also had pedigree cattle and a, and a bit of a show and a sale, um, but I think it was the way it was presented and the way it was put together, it really opened people's eyes to the possibility of and the potential of a Simmental breed. Mm-hmm. I certainly, uh, I went there myself, I think John Thornburg conducted the sale, if I remember, and, and, and that was followed then by the World Congress in 1982, which is a big coup for the country, obviously. Uh, I, I remember them selling beef rolls at all these events, which uh, um, was always quite uh, uh, interesting right in front of the cows, but would I be right in saying that the Simmental was promoted primarily as a female breed, for, um, more so, and more for the suckler man for breeding cows? Yeah, I think because of the dual purpose nature in, in Europe, where there, um, some of them in the early days were milked, uh, as well as being have good beef characteristics, um, I suppose they do have that advantage of being a fair bit of milk and do make good suckler cows, but I think they're the one true breed that actually have a, a dual purpose role within the beef industry. They can make very, very good suckler cows, but also the male progeny can stand beside any breed for performance, growth for age and confirmation uh, to go for slaughter. So they're basically a, a breed that can do every job. Excellent, and that's uh, that's the utopia that we're all looking for. And yeah. the society moved offices to the Royal Showground in 1988 and built a rather elaborate Swiss-styled building there. And I've had many a party in there at the Royal Show over the years, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a, a beautiful building, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of do's in there, but at the Royal Show, there was a big function after judging, and uh, there was a big marquee put out the front of it to extend it and stuff. I've been there quite a few times at that time. Um, a lovely old building, but um, unfortunately, it doesn't have too many days left. It, uh, it will be demolished shortly. As the society has moved out of it, the lease was coming up, and uh, the lease was not going to be renewed, and the, uh, the building, well, I suppose the wooden construction a lot of it is maybe starting to date and, and age slightly, so it's actually going to be demolished and left on a greenfield site. Which, which, which it is, it is sad uh, after so many years of being a, an iconic building. Sad to see the whole Royal Showground go to the state that it was compared to the, its halcyon days of the show, but we'll skirt over that one as we yeah. always try to do every week. <laughs> and uh, David Gaunt took over as the secretary, I'm not quite sure what year, but he stayed for 20 years and he was a great ambassador for the breed, I remember him well, and, and then yeah. followed by Roger Tuello, who, who again um, was so enthusiastic. And then yeah. Fiona Sloan, now Fletcher, I think she did yeah. a joint role um, there, she was there for a while, and now you have um, the very capable Ian Kerr, ex of the Limousin Society, is your yeah. general manager. Yeah, also we had uh, Neil Shan there for 10 or 11 years before Ian Kerr had come in, and they've all contributed immensely to the society. Um, David Gunt, in particular, I'm told he was uh, behind that Bingley Hall event, and really that was 
taking the thing forward and those beef, Simmental beef rolls, that was all David Gunt's ideas coming in and really did a very good job for the breed in the 20 years he was there. Uh, Roger Truello, a tremendous guy, lovely gentleman, uh, wasn't at the society that long, maybe should have had him for a bit longer. As you say, Fiona, yes, she came in in a PR role. Um, I think not the 1982 World Congress, but the one, I think, in 2008. She was brought in to sort of organise it and then ended up staying for maybe three or four years after that. And now with Ian, um, Ian has a lot of experience in all societies, starting way back in the Blue Domain Sheep Society when he first came out, and you'll know him through that probably did, as yeah. well. Um, so it's been around quite a bit, and we're quite glad that he's with us now, and I, and I think he has... A lot of very good ideas that, that hopefully will be good for the breed long term. Back to the early days, your father, Billy Robson, got four of heifers from that import to start the Kilbride farm herd. And over the next five decades, the herd would pick up seven Perth champions and sell bulls to 22,000 guineas. And Billy served two terms as president and was awarded an OBE. And we'll cover a bit more of your success in a minute, if that's OK, Norman. Those first four heifers that came to Kilbride Farm, those have been a, an importation that arrived in January 1971. In directly into Northern Ireland, and they were from Germany. Um, again, very similar to the other imports, they were picked by a buying mission, of which my father wasn't part of. Um, they were supposedly drawn into lots for the various people who had shown interest, and uh, Daddy always tells a story when he went to lift his four heifers that he had paid the money he had saved at that particular time, as money wouldn't have been that plentiful, and he walked in and he saw them and brought them home and he said he nearly cried when he when he saw the four that he had got compared to the ones that the other people that were in the buying mission got they didn't think the draw was particularly fair uh-huh. but it gave him an ambition and he said he was stick at it he was in it for a long haul and uh, within a few years he had used the right bulls on them and uh, improved them and got to where he wanted to be Excellent. And we said we'll cover the, the, the Kilbride farm herd in, in a bit more depth mm-hmm. in a minute. And Let's go back to the beginning. And obviously it's impossible to mention all those original 68 breeders, only to say that they were scattered between uh, England and Scotland and, and, and latterly Northern Ireland. But if we single out a few, Hugo Arnold's Hock and Hole herd would be up there. A, a great breeder, a prolific showman and such a fine gentleman. Sadly, Hugo passed away, but James still has a small herd going now based on those early lines. And they started with three imported cows, Regina, Melina and Sage, and all of who bred well for them. Uh, and it was a bull called Overhaul Heavy stamped the herd for them and Regina was the mother of North Star who they kept as a successful stock bull and Sage was the mother of Hockenhall Marvel who went to Billy McPherson at Blackfoot and one of the most famous names in the, the breed and he was the sire of Blackfoot Trident. In fact uh, Heavy went on to be one of the most successful sires in the breed himself breeding two Perth champions and his descendants winning a multitude of honours and the Hockenhall herd was dispersed in 2009, 100 head, averaging 4,500, possibly a record yeah. for the time. And uh, um, Hugo was a great man, wasn't he, Norman? Yeah, yeah, a, a lovely gentleman, and always a time to stop and talk to people. Always enjoyed conversations with him at the bull sales. And he was, at, he was a regular visitor to here. He'd been here maybe three or four times. Um, a tremendous man and a very good cattle man. Knew what he was trying to breed. Um, uh, and uh, you know was very successful at it and you know 
you mentioned that GM still has a few cows. Um, after they dispersed the herd, we were quite honoured that whenever they realised that they were missing the cattle, that they actually came here and bought one of their first foundation females for the new herd. Um, we sold them a heifer at that time, and we were quite honoured that this is where they came, they came to, to, to to set up a new herd. And uh, Robin Forrest of the Stuart's Law herd in the borders would be one of the early ones, and that's a name that needs little introduction, especially if it's followed by the word Melody, a cow we'll chat about in a minute or two. But he also sold Melody's full brother, Stuart's Law Joseph, to Finlay McGowan, for a then record price and uh, he went on to win the Highland show and the Royal and he was the sire of Dernany Nugget, another household word within the breed. Finlay's first two cows were Maze and Arve and both of them from a 1973 import. Dernanine Statesman was the maternal brother to Nugget and he went on to win the Highland as well and Dernanine was and is one of the most respected herds in the UK topping at 22,000 for Typhoon in 2008 who went all the way back to Mays and the same price again in 2011 for Bradley who again goes back to Arv, the other original cows and again another great man Norman. Yep, it was a very good friend of my father's, Robin Forrest right at the very and actually they, we imported our French bull orange he actually did a bit of quarantine on an out farm that Robin Forrest had where there was only sheep, he had to stay there for a month or two months on his own We're not near any cattle before he could continue his journey onto Northern Ireland. Um, the uh, just you mentioned Finlay McGowan's herd and the Dernanine Statesman and uh, Nugget, both of which out of um, I think a Neff cow, as we touched before with Neff, was Finn Gasker's L. Um, so there's the Neff breeding coming in there again. Okay. Uh huh. And I briefly mentioned Dan Evans and the original imports in Staffordshire, and he was a great stalwart for the breed, wasn't he? And uh, and uh, I saw on that sheet Colin Campbell from Thrunton, and again, there's another breeder who is more associated with Charolais cattle, and they sold a bull called Lionheart for 6,000, know, a breed record at the time, and uh, able family can breed anything they like. Yeah, 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 very good stockmen and well-respected, and that, as I remember seeing that bull, Thrunton Lionheart, I think his picture in United Auctions, Officers used to be in the Perth market, and then they now moved all the photographs just to Stirling, and I think that bull's still up in the wall. Anybody gets chance to see them? There's a fantastic collection of photographs in that office. I've yeah, of all all breeds, of all all, all all shapes and heights and sizes. Yes, I've certainly looked through them all and for for half an hour when I had time spare. Um, and Northern Ireland formed its own committee, and can you highlight a few of those early members? I, I saw Robbie Mulligan was in there, and Robbie's obviously a top Texel breeder as well. And I remember his brother Jim was also very keen on the breed, from what I can recall. And those those Mulligan boys were never far far away from the top, but uh, but. They There'd be, uh, there'd be some able men in that first committee in Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Also, you would have had um, David Perry uh, from the Killeen herd, uh, Robert McBride from the Irish herd. Bobby Dixon was uh, more of a commercial farmer, but was very interested in the Simulton breed. And, of course, my father would have been in on that committee at the very start as well. And I mentioned just now the Sacom herd, and I spoke recently to Judy Borlase earlier this week, who gave me a potted uh, history of, of the herd. And that herd was started with the one cow that I mentioned, uh, Klebe, and has since had an illustrious half-century of breeding still going today. And they worked originally quite closely with Bob Vigus, with some early imported bulls, and uh, Fox was the sire of Sacom Bernard, who uh, was possibly the father of their herd, and winning the Highland Show in 1977, as well as many others, including siring a bull sold to the Queen. Mm -hmm. And and he sired a bull called Sacom 
Edgar, who won Perth in 76, and he went to Northern Ireland and uh, sold a huge amount of semen from there, Norman, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I second Edgar was bought by uh, Bertie Watterson, another great character of the breed from the Oakland herd. Um, and uh, he was put into AI, and an awful lot of just semen was distributed commercially to dairy herds and stuff. And mm. uh, Edgar was quite an easy calving bull, so he was very, very well suited to that market. And uh, nice. done a good but, job. But he certainly was some great character, I remember. And uh, um, Sakem ended up buying uh, Hock and Hole Marvel privately in 1986, and he then went on and bred another Perth champion for them called Wishful Thinking, which sold for 8,900 guineas, I think. And with Judith and Paul's daughter, Bridget, um, who also started the Perry Wood Herd. They imported a bull from France in the 90s called Important, which is a great name. And uh, Judy recalls the herd he came from had won Paris show three times in a row. And uh, they also held the milking average of 11,000 litres from cows over 1,000 kilos. That really does endorse the fact that they are a dual-purpose breed, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, and that particular herd, I think she was talking talking about it would be Rennie Rowland's herd, and um, the cows were massive, and given these 10,000, 11,000 litres of milk, and actually that's the herd that Orage came from, and I remember seeing the pictures of the cows that Daddy had taken when he, when he went to see the bull, and on the pedigree that they come in with, it, it gives the lactation records of the mothers, and the, they are standing there to sort of over 2,000 gallons for maybe six or seven lactations in a row. Really amazing for, for, for that type of cow. Sure, sure. And not unlike your own herd, the, the, there's far too much history of the Sikkim herd to relay here. But uh, I should mention that Perrywood Champion was sold to the late Duke of Edinburgh to go across his rather large herd of Sussex cattle. And he bought the bull to improve the carcasses because they were selling the animals through the, the farm shop. And, this is the second time that uh, that, that Borlase had, had sold um, Simmerdales into royalty, which is quite impressive. Um, Perrywood Champion's brother went on to win the Burke Trophy, and uh, one of only four times the breed had won it. Uh, and both were sons of Clonar World Class, who's still breeding champions to this day, including the 2019 Royal Welsh Interbreed Champion, Saken Dandelion Oma, who was a great cow. And, she just got pipped in the champion of champions by a Welsh pig. So there we well, well, you can't complain about that. Never you're in Wales. So, <laughs> but actually, that uh, clonic world class. I remember the day that uh, the Borleses bought him. Um, it was at a sale that Garabian was having in, in Southern Ireland, and uh, I went down to to give him a hand uh, to prepare the to prepare the cattle because he had given us a wee bit of help in, in Stirling and Perth at the time, and. Uh, he had five or six Nuri cattle that he was selling that day, so I went down and he handed me a set of clippers and a comb and he says, you go and prepare the Nuri cattle. So I had to clip them up and that clone of world class really was, he was in a class of his own that day at that sale and uh, I was glad to see him going to a good pedigree herd. And Garrett being another great breeder in Southern Ireland that uh, definitely deserves a mention in this podcast. And as I said, it's impossible to condense the triumphs of all these herds into a podcast like this, but uh, others I should mention that added to the history of the breed, uh, uh, Joe Campbell at Camus in, in Northern Ireland, um, John Thornhill was always a strong competitor, David Mills, another largest life character, a bull dealer from, from Devon, um, Willie and Brian Allen of, of Glen Turk, very able breeders from Dumfries and Galloway area. Uh, the Smiths of Drumsleed in Aberdeenshire. David Donnelly, uh, I used to know quite well from Atlow, another Burke Trophy winner and a 
past president. There's, there's been a lot of good names in, 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 in the breed. Um, and we touched on Billy McPherson uh, at Blackford and his daughter Annie. And they're always producing great stock, aren't they? As well as Trident, they later topped Perth with Blackford Wurzel at 20,000. And again, of course, with the current um, breed record holder, um, Able People. Yeah, yeah. And actually, actually that Blackford Wurzel was, although it was their, their herd name, that was actually out of a a female that Jim McLaren from Dargle had bought. Um, they bought quite a lot of females from Blackford, and that was a calf that actually came on a cow. Um, so it was actually Jim McLaren sold Wurzel, although he was crying the Blackford prefix. Okay. Uh, so they got off. They got off to a flying start the very first year of selling calves. <laughs> so I think they, uh, they they come down with a bump then for a year or two after that, but uh, they got off to a flying start. <laughs> Okay, and a name a lot of people will know is Boddington's Estates, and uh, with their sterling prefix, they were not only ever present when I was around the show circuit, but ever winning, and mm -hmm. Graham Fishlock was a master stockman, and a man I greatly admired in, in my cattle days, and I remember them winning the Burke quite vividly, and uh, fittingly, when they dispersed uh, the herd, they broke the record with the top price female of 28,000, which still stands to this day. Yeah, there was a, a lot of good cattle at that dispersal sale and uh, went for very good money. And uh, you mentioned Graham Fishlock, but also the Rob Hewlett was there as a sort of manager um, for many, many years and a great stalwart of the breed um, and judged a lot of shows and stuff. So I think he's worth a mention in there with the Boddington herd as well. Sure. Sure. And we'll mention briefly Bob and Jean Lunis at the Brinkton Herd, but we'll go on to talk about their unrivaled success in a little bit more detail in a minute. And uh, and lastly, and not least, uh, your own herd, the Kilbride Farm, started by your father, run by your father, William, um, your brother, Michael, and yourself. And, and your father got the, those four first imported heifers, which we mentioned uh, um, earlier on from Germany. And then your first calf, I've seen photographs in 1972, was called Brutus. And a very young picture of, uh, of you and your, your brother dragging it around the yard. Yeah, yeah. I remember that calf very well. It was a much anticipation waiting on uh, the first progeny of these heifers. And uh, maybe as the name suggests, I think it was quite a sizable calf when he was born. But... Uh, very good calf, and he went. I think he went to America, um, along with most of the other calves at that time. Um, just a, another, but on, on the first four heifers that they actually we had a, the, the, probably the best one of the four actually was a half sister of Scottish Neff. So the old Gruby cow was um, by the, the old Neff bull in Germany. So that, that was a bit the, the one, one sort of positive thing out of the four heifers was that she was a half sister of Neff. Uh, what were the names of those? Can you remember? Can you? There was Rainey and Gruby were the two that I remember. The other two uh, um, of that first importation, um, I don't think they had many calves. They don't remember too much of the other two. But Rainey and Gruby would have been the better two, and and the Rainey would have bred the Kilbride Farm Gavin, who was sold in 1977 or 78 or so. He went on and won Male of the Year, I believe. Yes, he was through the performance test station. At Loch Gaul over here, um, which was run by the department, and uh, at that time had a, a, a 400 day weight of 626 kilos, right. which was regarded as quite big. So that bull then was sold at the club sale and bought by John Gillen of the Cairn Cairn herd, who showed him and was male of the year in Northern Ireland and took quite a lot of sons to Perth and got on quite well with them when he was selling them to 
we, we talked about Araj briefly, and uh, he was a bull. You guys imported yourself. Your father would have gone over and selected him, and, and, and you mentioned the herd that he came from. Yeah, Rennie Rowland's herd. Um, uh, Daddy had been in a couple of times to France and never just saw anything he liked. Um, he always thought the French cattle had something to offer, a wee bit more scale than probably the German cattle. And um, he'd been a couple of times, and the, 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 the sort of field officer for the uh, French Cemental Society um, knew what he was looking for. And I think when he went this time, he says, I'm going to show you a few bulls, but I'm going to leave the one that you're going to be buying to the last. Uh, and apparently, the Canadians have been over and bought a whole lot of cattle. And now I'm not sure whether this bull was either a week too old or a week too young. Otherwise, he he would have been in Canada, but okay. he was he was so good, uh, and but they couldn't they couldn't take him because of his age. Uh, right. So therefore, he ended up coming here and uh, really really made a, a big big stamp on our herd. And I mentioned there about the six to six kilos, in probably 1977 or 76, at 400 days. The first son of Orage went through the same testing station in 1981, or 82. Uh, and his 400-day weight was 723 kilos. Wow. Okay. So the just improvement and growth rate was unbelievable with mm -hmm. that bull. And his daughters were all like peas in a pod. Uh, really, really put our herd on the map. Mm -hmm. And uh, Marion was one of his daughters, I think, and uh, she went on to be female of the year twice, I believe. Yep, yep. We had good fun showing Marion. And actually, uh, she had two daughters that were female of the year as well. I think they were both by sensation. That was really part of our Eunice family. Um, my father bought two heifers. He bought one heifer in Donegal one, one day, a very good heifer, uh, called Karen Eleanor. And he decided then, maybe just take another wee heifer to, for company in the trailer. And he brought this other sort of cheaper heifer. And she was called Karen Eunice. Uh, so they both arrived home. The very good heifer lost her first calf and never went in calf again. The other heifer had twins and now the Eunice family is probably 65% of our herd today. Is so right? it, just, it just goes to show it's a wee bits of luck you need at times. It's not necessarily the one you're, you really put all your, 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 your eggs in the basket, that's going to be the one, but it's the one that you weren't thinking of that actually does better. So... Yeah, you just need you know, a wee bit of thing, a wee bit of luck through the, through the years as, as needed in all types of life and farming. And I'll just mention that the name Orage, I live in France myself, and the name Orage means storm, which is a heavy rainstorm that's coming by. So uh, he, uh, he obviously did take your herd by storm, and I hope he... He had the temper. Didn't have the storm temperament. <laughs> no, no, he was a nice, nice, quiet bull. But at least if it was, if it, was, if it means storm, he was well acclimatized down to the Northern Ireland weather anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And then you, uh, your first Perth champion was in 1986, and then you bought Monker Sensation, a son of of Dernley Nugget in '87, and uh, he won Balmoral in '89, and interbreed champion, and uh, he, he again did very well with your herd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sensation was uh, a lovely bull. I can remember going. It's the first time I'd ever been anywhere near Perth. We went. He was bought privately, but my father and I went over to look at uh, Mon the Monker herd because they brought their first group of bulls by Nugget just to Perth, and they were quite impressed with them. So we thought we'd go and try and buy one privately after that. And uh, he gave me he gave, on the way to Monker. He gave me the tour and round 
Perth City Centre to show me where the market was. Uh, we stayed in the, the infamous City Mills Hotel that night yeah. and then went out to Moncur in the morning and we selected the bull and bought him and came home. And uh, It was the first Simitol ever to win the Interbreed at Balmoral Show, so it was, it was a good occasion. Just moving through, because time's moving on, you had a bull called Bermuda. He went to Perth and he was intermediate champion in 93 and then followed by Chieftain and a few other bulls in 1994. Uh, you bought a bull, uh, Donny Dictator, I'm going to mention, because I think mm-hmm. you shared him with Henry Gamble, but he was polled, is that right? Yeah, we shared with Henry Gamble and another breeder, George Hamilton. Uh, he was polled, he was bought for, I think, 6100 which was a, a record price here in Northern Ireland at the sale. Uh, a son of Dernanine Statesman, who we mentioned before, Okay. Uh, so left us quite a number of nice polled females. The bulls maybe just didn't make the grade. A few good bulls, but the, the females were very good and really started us on the way of a sort of a polling program for our own herd. Okay, I was going to go mention the polling later on, so that's interesting. And you won Perth champion again, 95, with Edgar and top three group of bulls that year, selling to 10,000. And all you went on to win Perth seven times and... Kilbride Farm, Newry was an influential bull, was the sire of, of Clonard World Class that we talked about uh, yeah, uh, yeah, earlier yeah. on. And if anyone would like to see the full history of the Kilbride Farm herd, check out this excellent uh, set of videos called 50 Years of White and Gold, which I've looked at on Facebook and it's superb. And your father was president of the society in 1985 and again in 1999. Your brother Michael was president in 2011 and I believe you're in line for the role soon. That's an incredible dynasty in the farming world. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, well, I, I, I hope to be president in a couple of years' time in case <laughs> as long as something doesn't happen and something in the meantime. But uh, no, it's, it's nice and we've, we've, we've like been able to contribute to the society and the breed and uh, it's, it's in our hearts really the whole way through. So uh, we, try, we try to do what we can. I can tell. Okay, and let's go back and look at some of these early influential bulls in the breed. We've touched on a few of them, but starting from the beginning, we mentioned Scottish Neff and uh, the, the import, and then a bull called Rumour. Um, do, you, do you know about him? Uh, I know he was imported at that time and, and uh, used and uh, by and a number of the breeders in the early days, but uh, maybe not as maybe as well known, obviously, as Neff, but uh, okay. he definitely was there at the start, yeah. Okay, and we touched on an overhaul, Alan Dorf from Don Nielsen, and I talked to uh, Jim Cameron another day, and uh, he said it was a neighbour of his that, that bought that bull. Um, Solway Adonis was by Neff from John Marshall, we mentioned he went to the USA, and uh, strangely, in the recent podcast, we've been talking about another breeder called John Marshall from the south of England, uh, who was big into breeding Texels and Beltex sheep, as well as Belgian blue cattle, and I remember John Marshall from Solway referring to the other one as Marshall the Money. I think each of them probably had a bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we got Hayward Esquire, a bull that bred 1,500 calves from... Uh, there's another highly successful and influential breeder there, David Barker from Somerset, very well known from the Hayward herd, would have a lot of history in the breed right from the beginning, wouldn't they? And I believe the herd is soon to be dispersed, is that right? Yeah, I think actually uh, it would maybe might have been dispersed. They had maybe even the first part of it there about a couple of months ago. Um, uh, whether there's another bit to be to be dispersed or whether it maybe is all gone. But it's sad to see you know, a herd like that. Obviously, it hasn't been as prominent this past maybe 15-20 years but um, it definitely was up there 
near the top, very very influential in uh, breeding some of the top cattle within the breed, and another you know nice gentleman and character as well. And Mark it certainly was always had a smile. Yep, yep, and like judged a lot of shows and. Uh, he did a lot for his various, his, his, whatever the local breed club was in the area. He would have been involved in it right up to the last couple of years. And moving on, we mentioned Sakem Edgar. Um, uh, Ardo Figaro was Perth champion and a well-used bull, wasn't he? Yep, he would have been a bull that been fairly well used in, in, in Scotland. And uh, I think he featured on a, a beef event or a, a, a commercial open day somewhere in the Perthshire area and brought a lot of favourable comments from commercial farmers. So, um, you know, a very influential bull is in the back pedigree of um, quite a few of the present day animals. Sure, sure. Uh, TV golfer I've got here, a breed record breaker from 1978 from Robin Bell and the Borders. And we bought a Blue Domain ewe lamb from Robin, which went on to win the interbreed at the Royal Welsh. So, an, another able, uh, able breeder. Yep, and uh, another good friend of my father's through the years as well. Um, at that time, the Scottish Borders would have had an awful lot of very influential pedigree breeders, and uh, a few of them still producing some cattle now, but not just as, in as big a way of going as what they would have been uh, like 30 years ago. Sure. You, you also had two very memorable characters from the Borders, Messrs. Hogg and Todd, who I'm sure you'll have heard many stories about some of their escapades around the bull sales and various shows. Maybe it's better not commenting too much on those things. <laughs> I tell you what, we will comment about that because I, I put a picture of it on our Facebook page and that was a, a glorious evening when they turned up at the Aberdeen Angus yeah, uh, yeah. Society dinner with a, a cemental bull yeah, in the yeah. middle of the ballroom and uh, there's photographs to prove that and uh, yeah, great yeah, that, times and a good, a good advert for the yeah. breed but didn't go down too well at the time with uh, no, no, uh, I Angus hierarchy. I, I thought it was a very, very good marketing ploy on behalf of Simmentals. <laughs> <laughs> There's some stories that happened after that, but we probably won't go into that. And uh, moving on, another well-known bull, Ricketstown Jumbo, a famous bull, I would say, for Bob Vigus. And uh, Bob Vigus bought him for 500 quid, wasn't he? And he came from Ireland, I think, Southern Ireland. Yeah, uh, Ricketstown Jumbo would have been by Hamlet, which was a very influential Austrian bull in Southern Ireland. He was actually known as the left-handed bull because the guy that showed him at the seal where he bought him put the halter on the wrong way around. So actually <laughs> he, was, he was walking on the wrong side of the bull, so he was always known as a left-handed bull. <laughs> I've certainly bred a lot of cows with him in the breed, and, and he'd be quite an old bull by the time Bob Vigas got round to dispersing the Revelex herd, but Bob couldn't bear to sell him, and he ended up going down to Norfolk to uh, Simon Key, where he lived on until he was 15 years old, still serving cows, so a great endorsement for the longevity of the breed. Uh, Sunton Lionheart, I, I mentioned, um, and followed by another bull of yours, Nevada, at uh, at 8,000. Was that uh, 1984 we're looking at now? Yep, yep, 1984, uh, Nevada actually would have been a grandson of Orais. As I said, the Orais improved the 400-day growth to, to 723, and then that was Kilbride Farm Leicester, and his son, first son, Kilbride Farm Nevada, had a 400-day had a weight of 804 kilos. Cool. So there was tremendous growth there, and he went to Sterling, uh, was junior champion, and sold to uh, Hector McCaskill. Uh, from the Woodhall herd, which was uh, maybe not mentioned so far, but uh, one of the most influential breeders uh, who had a, an encyclopedia of knowledge of his head. He probably knew 
the breeding of everybody's cattle better than they knew themselves. He had so much knowledge in his mind, he, he, he could tell you the pedigree of any animal that, that he looked at. So uh, a very influential breeder there as well. Yeah, uh, he, actually, he, he actually only held, Nevada only held that breed record for about half an hour until Nugget came into the ring after him. So. I was going to mention that, yes, that's exactly that. Nugget came in very shortly afterwards and went to Russell Taylor of, of mm-hmm. Moncur. And, mm-hmm. uh, Russell, of course, a man who was also in Charolais and Angus and a hell of a lot of potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And as I met him, I knew when everyone went over to buy Moncur sensation at that time. And uh, uh, I knew there was a lot of big potato buildings about the yard at that stage. So I was going through these chronologically and I've just jumped one, a bull called Milson Matchmaker, bred by a neighbour of mine, Arthur Parker at Milson. And uh, Arthur was an interesting little character. Uh, he sold the bull for very little money to Willie Allen of Glen Turk, who fed him properly. And uh, he went, bull went on to win the Burke Trophy for the first time in 1985. And uh, I took bulls to Perth, old market for Arthur. And he was, shall I say, Little careful with his money. Oh. <laughs> Aye, with that uh, uh, that Burke Trophy team, I think Milson, Matchmaker, and I think Crawford Nelly, I think was the was the other one, and that was another great breeder. Philip House was a tremendous stalwart mm. of the breed in the early days as well. I remember Philip Philip House. With the times moving on, let's run through these bulls. Sterling Parliamentarian won the Burke um, with Stuart Law Melody, who we'll talk about in a second in 1989, and. Boddington had another Burke winner, I think, with Sterling Crackerjack. Yeah, I think that rings a bell. I'm not sure what cow he teamed up with, but uh, Sterling Crackerjack definitely was in the show circuit. Uh, and Hockenhill Marvel we mentioned, and Kilbride Farm Newry. Uh, we also talked about sold sons to 20,000. A very influential breed. We actually, or one of the stock bulls we had, uh, Milner Fuhr graduate, got injured. At the, in the spring of the year, going out with cows, and uh, we had no other stock bull, and Yuri was the best young bull we had, and we decided we'll just put him out with the cows, and uh, one of those things that just, fate happens, and that's how um, the herd moves on, that it was the best yeah. thing ever we did. A, a name that I remember, Gretna House Supersonic from Alistair Houston, and uh, I think he was by Hayward Esquire, am I right? And, and yeah. he said 2,300 calves in the breed, and I remember him as a show bull, and and it was Finney at uh, Rowley Grove that had Supersonic and took him round to a lot of shows, won a lot of shows. And, uh, of course, he was uh, Roger Birch's father-in-law, who, uh, again, another great character. On He'd be strong on the show circuit, and Roger's Pasterfield heard was, during the days when I was showing scimitars, were bloody hard to beat. He was uh, he was right into this breed. Yeah, he definitely was a character, and, uh, you know, anywhere you met him, he was always... You nearly think he was up to mischief the whole time. <laughs> he would always be playing a prank or doing something on somebody at some at some stage. Absolutely right. Mischief is his middle name, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Blackfoot Trident went to the, the Scottish Milk Marketing Board for fourteen thousand and followed by Hayward Talent from David Barker at eighteen thousand. Another breed record went to Boddington's Estates and jump a few years to Brinkton Brilliant uh, 1991 by Brinkton Sovereign who is a Melody son and he holds the accolade as the top used sire in the breed with 3,500 registered calves. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there's plenty more I'm sure I've missed here but I have to mention uh, Bell Du Capacelli from Anne McPherson setting the current breed record at 45,000 guineas and a, a great achievement for the family. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was in, in Sterling that day and a tremendous bull and uh, a lot of buzz whenever he's been sold, and people had never seen the like of this within the Simmental breed getting to that sort of value. But it's good, good to see those things happening. Mm-hmm. 
indeed. And the society started a polling scheme we mentioned earlier on in, in 1983, I think, bringing a few bulls from Canada, which included um, Belvale Astro and AWL Polar 8R that went to Dern and Ian. And some of that blood still run through the through the, the, the breed now. The, the poll's still there. Yep, yep. As I said earlier, um, it was actually a, a, a grandson of Polar that we purchased, the uh, Ardidoni Dictator, who was a son of Dernanine Statesman. Um, and I suppose that would be a lot of our females that carry that Pole gene that we then used other Pole bulls on more recently um, would all go back to Polar. The other bull that came in at that time, you mentioned Belleville Astro, there was SBL63K. There was some quite good stock of him when they came in from, from Canada. Um, but at that stage, the Canadians were just starting to get a slightly bigger, framier, taller sort of cattle. And uh, I think they get too tall and plain for what we were looking for in this country. And nowadays it's gone to the actual complete reverse. Now they're uh, small and very thick, dumpy cattle. Um, so it's how things, the fashions change over the years. They do, they do. And we talked in an earlier podcast about, uh, on a, a Hereford breeder, Glenn Klippenstein. And uh, Glenn was the first one to bring um, cemental bulls into the US. And he brought those in from Canada. And uh, yes, yeah, some of this, this, the same breeding was, was in there. But of course, the, Canadian, the Americans now, all the cementals are black for mm. uh, political reasons we'll not go into. Uh, they, um, <laughs> and the Breed Society also ran something called MOE, M-O-E-T, which was an ET scheme, and I remember it, but can you help me, what, what was that about? Yeah, I think at one stage they, they selected some of the top cows within the breed, and they uh, then selected bulls to use on those, and it was, I think, something to do with Aberdeen University. Um, so they collected the embryos and they had a herd of cattle and the prefix was Noska. Um, but I think it didn't really get up and running. They maybe had a couple of years of it and then the people weren't willing, I think breeders maybe weren't willing to let their cows be flushed for the thing and one thing or another. But uh, I think it just maybe a couple of years, uh, it didn't go on much, much longer than that. It's a shame in some ways that a lot of other breeds didn't do that because, of course, in the, in uh, Scotland and England, we got hit with uh, foot and mouth in 2001 and wiped out a lot of these herds and had some of those cows in all these herds been flushed and embryos put away, we could pick back on those genetics and uh, hopefully those lessons are learned and, that, and that's being done to this day. Yeah, well, I think a lot of breeders would do a wee bit of flushing um, for that reason in case anything never happens. At the end of the day, they'll have uh, a bank of, of embryos, but... In a, in a certain way, those embryos will, after after a number of years, will sort of go out of date in, in, in type and performance. You would have the bloodline, but you'd then spend another 20 years trying to bring them back up to date. That's the problem. <laughs> well, as you said, the fashions change, as they have done in mm -hmm. the US. And let's move on. As with our other podcasts, I'd like to look at some of the females that shaped the Scimitar breed. And uh, have to start with possibly the, one of the most famous cows of all time in any breed, Stuart Slaw Melody. And... She not only won everything in her path over 50 championships, but she also was a great breeder. And that's a, that's a rare combination in itself, mm -hmm. as we know. Not all the show cows are breeders, are they? No, that's the... Uh, you look back over the years, um, we we actually stopped showing cattle. And after 2001 and foot and mouth, we never started again after that because we found that we had so much time on a Saturday and one thing and another to do other things. But... Um, you know, sometimes those show cattle aren't necessarily the best breeders that are, are about a farm, and uh, it's it's very seldom that you'll get a cow that, like Melody that you did have a good show career and actually bred some good cattle. Mm -hmm. 
and and Bob was such a fantastic showman, wasn't he? And meticulous in every detail, and a nice man too as well. And where where would he have bought Melody? I mean, she came from from Stuart's Law. Would he would he have bought her privately, or she had, where, where did she get bought? I think, as far as I'm I'm aware, she would have been bought privately, maybe at a show. I think whenever Melody was shown as a young cow, I believe that she was shown by uh, by by Stuart's Law. Um, and then maybe that's where Bob maybe had seen her, and then as a post tried to he'd, he'd do his best. He would have to have her. Um, so he was, I, a, he was I, a persuasive <laughs> man with Bob. I had a few dealings with him. Uh-huh, yeah. So I'm not sure she's ever sold at sale. I think she would have been sold privately somewhere, either at the Royal Show or maybe somewhere else. I'm not sure. And her career spanned a good few seasons, didn't it? And uh, culminating, I think, in winning the Burke Trophy along with Parliamentarian in '89. And I remember that well enough. And I, I think. She may be retired then, but uh, Bob then just became unstoppable. I mean, especially at the Royal in 1993, he won every bloody class. Uh, six first prizes, champion and reserve. I showed a team of Simitols that year myself, and there were no sledges. And, but Bob's cattle were just in a different class, and a lot of that went back to Melody, didn't it? Brinkton Melody was also another prolific show winner of, of, of daughter of hers. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I was actually at the Royal Show that year that he had won nearly every class and uh, I think Brinkton Melody the third would have been my favourite of all cows and females they showed that day but I think she was she was by Rickerstown Jumbo which just added a little bit of fleshing onto some of the Brinkton cattle that would have been maybe a wee bit harder fleshed uh, so she, Melody three would have been my favourite of them. Okay. A few other cows we should mention. Care Tagani, she won the Highland in 1974, and she went on and had 16 natural calves. A lot of these early cows, they did they naturally just calved year on year on year and kept going, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. The fertility was was very very good, and that's something that we have to make sure we maintain that we have regular breeders because the commercial farmer wants a cow that's going to to calve uh, every year, uh, and have plenty of milk to rear that cow. So the, the fertility is something that we really have to build on. We had this discussion recently about the Texel breed, and I won't get political, but our guest mentioned that uh, some of these sheep need to get back to a little, a little bit more longevity and a little bit less towards the uh, embryo transfer. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mo- Moving on before I get in trouble. <laughs> Killeen Fona, uh, a decent show cow in the 70s in Northern Ireland. She'd be in, in your time. Yeah, yeah. There was two or three faunas that were shown, um, maybe three generations um, for the for the Perry family. Um won quite a few championships at Balmoral Show and, and other shows throughout the province and also they would have been quite they, they would have bred fairly well too. They would have had a few champions and or like intermediate champions and sold fairly well in Perth from the Fauna family. So they, they were they, that was a cow a cow family that, that bred as well as were show show animals. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And at the Revelex dispersal, I think in 1990, a cow made ten and a half thousand. Can't remember her name, but there was some uh, great cattle came from from Bob Bagus's sale, didn't they? And that's a prefix again that's still in a in a lot of herds today. Yeah, yeah. Revelex cattle would have been very good beef cattle. Um, I think in the early days, Bob Bagus, my father says, would have used a lot of the bulls that were in the Scottish milk marketing board studs of the of of German origin onto the, the Swiss origin cows that were in England and uh, that sort of thickened them out a wee bit and he, he maybe got ahead of some of the other breeders in the early days with that but the uh, the Revelix, the Wild family would have been, Revelix Wild would have been a, a name, a very very famous cow family name that's still about today. Okay, uh, Tilly Lea Angela won the interbreed at the Highland and uh, in 1995 she was a Haywood Scorpio, a great cow, I remember her. 
Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing her at the Highland Show as as a younger animal, and uh, I thought she was uh, very, very, a very, very good cow. And I think I said my father was saying that he maybe judged the Highlands in nineteen ninety five and made her champion. Um, it was a very touch and go thing between I think Brinkton Bluebell was the other cow. They were first and second in the class, and uh, he opted for the. Tilly Lair Angela, and she, he was delighted whenever she came on to be, become interbreed champion. So, interbreed, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, probably another one of the great show cows in the breed was Darsham's Kit Kat, and she won loads, and in, including the three Royals and the Great Yorkshire in 2005. Not many animals have done that in any breed, I don't think. And she was later sold at the Darsham's dispersal for eighteen thousand. A great cow. Yeah, a great, great show cow. Um, but then maybe on the opposite side from Melody, uh, I'm not sure. Look, an abundance of progeny from the Kit Kat line that would be still featuring today. Probably backs up what we say that uh, not all the show cows are great breeders. Yeah. And Seacum Seik- Dandelion that we mentioned earlier, and um, she won the last major show that we've had over here before this pandemic started to skip out. And Sterling Bacardi's Hawaii, I should mention, uh, I did earlier on, broke the breed record at 28,000, and she went to Sacum, of course. And I'm sure I've missed out a few more great cows off this list. Is anybody else I should have uh, I should have in here? Um, I actually had the pleasure of judging the Highland in 2016 and was presented with uh, two very, very good cows. Again, very little between them. Um, one was Oric Eve from Michael Barlow, and the other was a uh, one of Jimmy Woods' cows, Pope's cow, and uh, been a toss of a coin between the two, but they have had a very successful show career and actually I think both breeding quite well too, so it can be done. <laughs> Indeed, and the Society having just passed its 50th year mark uh, last year, and the younger herds you mentioned, Pope's and you know, Mike Dono's Ocaran uh, uh, and uh, joining the top flight. The breed's in good hands now. There's a lot of good young breeders out there as well, aren't there? And uh, Not that Michael's a young man, but... <laughs> and uh, what's the what's the number of registrations just now? Is it, is, is it stable or are we on the up? Um, they maybe a few years of maybe slightly falling registrations, but we're hoping that the, the breed, everything's looking good for the breed at the present time. And a, an awful lot of new members joining the society um, registering new herds, so things look good for the future. And as you say, you know there are an awful lot of up-and-coming herds that are doing quite well. Um, you know, what I even mentioned there, the, the herd probably doing for, as well as anywhere at the minute is the Isleville herd from Stronox. Um, you know, have done very well this past year too, and uh, Korsky herd. You know, an awful lot of herds have done very. There's a lot of very influential herds still on the go. And uh, it's nice to see everything getting shared out and everybody getting a chance at the top end and, and enjoying good prices and, and championships and stuff. So I think the breed is in a, in a very good place. They have something to offer um, that some of the other breeds don't have. Um, so I think if you look, a, very, a testament to the breed is when you go to a beef event somewhere and you look at all the exhibitions and each breed will have a pen of cows and a commercial calves. You just have to look around. Most of the pens will be Simmental cows with other breeds of calves on them. Um, so I, I just you could go to these events. You wouldn't Simmentals wouldn't have to advertise because they're getting advertised by the other breeds. So it's uh, it's quite a good thing. But as I say, you know, not only they're a softer cow, but they they, they they have the ability to be a terminal sire as well. And it's just keeping that balance right that you don't lose the, the benefits of the of the fertility, uh, the quietness, the milk. 
uh, you don't want to lose that, but you still want to keep the beefiness and be able to do both things. So I think the thing is looking good for the breed, um, and hopefully, hopefully it'll continue and be even stronger in, in another 50 years' time. Brilliant. Well, Norman, it's been great to discuss the, the history of 50 years of the breed, and I really appreciate your time, and please uh, um, thank your father for his input, and your brother for that matter, and uh, congratulations on your up-and-coming um, uh, presidency when it arrives, and I hope you enjoy that, and uh, I hope our listeners have enjoyed uh, hearing uh, about the great Simmental breed, and to some of our overseas listeners as well, who, who as I said, see them as black cattle, will understand where, where the breed's origins are, and uh, probably the largest you know, collection uh, of pedigree cementals the world over. Uh, Norman, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to our Top Lines and Tales podcast this week. Please tune in to our Top Lines and Tales Facebook page where you'll find photographs that'll back up this and all our other episodes.